The scripture this morning is found in Acts 16, verses 11 through 40. Acts 16, 11 through 40. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembled with fear. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. 
So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Now that's poise, isn't it? Well done, Stacy. That was little Elon that, that uh, Stacy was holding, and he was saying, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. This is the day that the, I don't know if you could pick that up, but that's what, that's what he was saying. And then uh, Cole was the other one, and Emmeline, I think, is in the nursery right now or in Kid City. Um, but that was the whole household. That was the Murr's household. A little bit like Lydia's household and the jailer's household. Their whole family was here this morning to praise the Lord. Welcome again to Holy Trinity. I'm John, one of the pastors here, and uh, glad that you're with us today. And especially those of you who were able to make it in person, congratulations and praise God that you are here. There's a, a statement made by someone named John Donne a 16th and 17th century poet and pastor, and his, his phrase has come down into our culture, which is, no man is an island, or no woman is an island. And the concept is simply that we are all connected with one another, that there are interconnections between all people, but especially within the church. If we've ever felt disconnected from one another, this was the year to feel disconnected. If you ever felt like an island, this was the year of feeling like you are on an island. Modern Western civilization has this view that we are all independent of one another, that we are less interdependent than some other cultures view us. This is how the full quote by John Donne goes. It says, no person is an island of themselves. Every person is a piece of the continent, so to speak, envisioning us all connected to one another, a part of the main. And then he surmises, if a clod that is a portion of soil were washed away by the sea, Europe would be less. And he goes on to say, any death diminishes me because I am involved in all of mankind. That's not necessarily how we view ourselves. Oftentimes, the way we view ourselves is as the outsider. We look around and we say, well, no one is like me. Those others that are here are really different from me. We don't always think I belong here despite the differences from me. But when you look at the, the scriptures and, and this text that we're going to look at today, it's actually our differences that augment each other. It's our differences that bring beauty when they all come together. In the 90s, this was captured by, I didn't watch this very much, but by Sesame Street. Who are the people in your neighborhood, the song goes. And you, you begin to hear of the baker and the firemen. And you see Oscar the Grouch driving a fire truck and... Uh, 
the song says, the trash collector works each day. He'll always take your trash away. He drives the biggest truck you've seen to keep the city streets all clean. And the idea is that there's great diversity. This is one of the reasons I love cities, is because of how diverse they are. When you walk down the streets, you realize that people are here from all over the world and all over the country. And the differences in the kingdom of God actually help to exalt the beauty of the kingdom of God. Today, all I want to do is introduce you to three people from the church in Philippi. Three people who are incredibly different from one another, but also who show the unifying beauty and power of God to build a church. One of the fun parts about reading through the book of Acts as it teaches you the rest of the scriptures, this is the founding core of the church at Philippi that Paul writes to the Philippians. And the people are very different from one another. And what Paul is proclaiming to them and what Luke is recording is that the love of God crosses all boundaries, crosses the boundaries of gender and economics, and nationality, and social status, as a way of saying, God loves the whole world. So, I want to introduce you to three people from Philippi today, Lydia, a slave girl, and a jailer. Before we jump in, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your love is wide enough to embrace all of us. That there's no system, there's no background, there's no ethnicity that you love more than any other, but that your text today is stretching our understanding of how you love a diverse people, how you love people from every background, and we pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be stretched so that rather than saying, I don't belong, or they don't belong, or can't be included, that our hearts and minds see your barrier blocking love, the way that you cross every boundary to come and to show us your love. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. The first person that we meet in the text, in verses 11 and 15, is Lydia. And Lydia actually would fit very well into this part of the city of Chicago. She's a businesswoman, an entrepreneur. Uh, they, she's, Luke records that she is uh, a seller of purple goods. Take a look at verse 11 with me and keep your Bibles open if you would. It says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. When it says uh, we there, it's referring now to four people. Paul, Barnabas has left with John Mark, so this is Paul, Timothy, who we picked up just earlier in the chapter, Silas, with whom he embarked as well, and then Luke, who is writing these words. So the four of them, and perhaps others, are on their way on this journey, and they make it to the port, one of the ports of Philippi, called Neapolis, and uh, they then travel into the interior of Philippi. One commenter says this about Luke. He says, Luke has the true Greek feeling for the sea. What he's saying is that Luke, when you read the book of Acts, you find him falling in love with the waves and with the, the descriptions of the travel. 
they travel to this place called Samothrace, which is an island with rocky crags. And there's a, one part of the island that the peak of which is more than 5,000 feet in the air. They must have had the wind at their backs because they travel 150 miles sailing in just two days. And then they walk along what's called one of the old Roman roads called the Via Ignatia for 10 miles in order to come to Philippi. Philippi was uh, named after Philip of Macedonia in the 4th century. And notice that it's called in some texts, it says the first city of the region, or others, it says the, the leading city. Our modern cities are massive compared to the ancient cities. Philippi at this time would have only been about 10,000 people. Uh, Chicago is about 2.69 million people. Uh, I'm positive that our neighborhood has three times the size of Philippi, but for that time period, Rome was probably about one million people in the first century. Twenty percent of the people in this city would have been slaves. It was a very diverse city, as cities are. There were approximately 90 sculptures, diverse religiously, 90 sculptures to represent the goddess Diana, who was the goddess of the hunt, so they are plunged into this city of diversity, and because there's no synagogue there, they decide to go outside of the city. Their normal practice was to go to a synagogue first, but here they decide to go outside the city to a prayer meeting that is actually only women. They sit down, you can imagine them sort of leaning in and saying, do you mind if we join you for, for a few moments? The, the women that are gathered there are described, and Lydia is described as a worshiper of God. So she is actually uh, not, not Jewish. She's from a part of Asia or Asia Minor, minor called Thyatira. And so she is uh, uh, following the religion of Judaism at that time, but had known nothing of Christianity or of the gospel. Verse 12 says, We remained in the city some days. Some scholars think that this is actually Luke's city, the author of this text, and one of the reasons why he's giving this description of who is met there is because it was his own home city. They remained there some days, and on the Sabbath they went outside the gates, verse 13, to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer and spoke to the woman who had come together. And then they meet Lydia who is a woman of means, who is a woman of influence. She's an entrepreneur and a businesswoman. What was her business? Selling purple goods. She would have had a kind of clothing store. She's from a city of Thyatira, uh, seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of the Lord. And then two things happen in verse 14. One is that Paul begins to speak the good news about who Christ is. And that the God that she is worshiping has sent Jesus Christ as his son to come into the world to bring the good news of forgiveness of sins and the entrance into the kingdom. He begins proclaiming, and then the second thing that happens in verse 14 is, it, is that God moves. It says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and immediately she is baptized. She and her 
whole household. And she urges them and says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon them. So what happens is her home is open because her heart is opened as well. And part of Luke's thesis, going all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 8, is that the message of God and the love of God are boundary-crossing love and message, that it will go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you think of the time when Jesus made that statement, Chicago was very far from being on the horizon of history. Chicago was thousands of miles away, and yet the gospel has now come here. And what, what Luke is doing is showing that the love of God, which seemed to be so specific and so Jewish and often, frankly, so male, is crossing to show the love for this woman, Lydia. If you think that uh, religion today is chauvinistic, in that day, a male Jew who was the head of a household would say a daily prayer saying, I thank you, God, that you did not create me as a Gentile that is a non-Jew or a woman or a slave. And what Luke is doing here is saying, look, the love of God is for the women for the slaves and for the non-Jews as well. He's expand this is if you remember Zacchaeus, we meet him in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and it's a similar story, not of a woman coming to know Jesus, but of a very wealthy person coming to know Jesus. And what Luke is doing is trying to dismiss us of our preconceived notions of who the gospel is for and we're meeting two women here in order to say that God is the emboldener of women, that God is the empowerer of women, that God has a place for them in his kingdom. Some of you are accomplished. Some of you are educated like Lydia. Some of you are entrepreneurs and cre creatives. And if the question is, is there a place in the kingdom for such as you, Luke says, absolutely. As I said at the beginning, we often say, you know, maybe God doesn't have a place for me because I'm different. Paul deals with this in the book of, of Corinthians, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, where he points out, look, we're, he, God has created us all as different from one another. What good would a body be if we were all feet? Or what good would a body be if we were all eyes? The hand shall not say to the foot, I don't, I don't need you. Imagine what it would look like if a body came into church on Sunday morning that was all feet. <laughs> it would be a distortion. And what the Apostle Paul is writing there and what Luke is proclaiming here is that God loves the beauty of the diversity of the kingdom of God and welcomes all people in. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I had no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. 
You know, people think that the pastor is the one who is the most important in the church, and what Paul is saying here is no. He's a mouth, yes, but it's those who are behind the scenes, those who are on the forefront of the marketplace who are the ones who deserve the greater honor. So quick application here. Welcome all kinds of people. Welcome the entrepreneurial, welcome the educated, welcome the industrious. Lydia is the core of the church plant in Philippi. And then secondly, I'll just say this. God delights in using places like the great cities of Chicago and the great cities like Philippi for the expansion of the good news. Our ministry team, our vocational staff, often on a Monday would ask the question after a service, reviewing the service, did you meet anyone new today? Did you meet anyone that you hadn't spoken to before? And Luke says, yes, I met a wonderful businesswoman whose name is Lydia. God has a place for the higher socioeconomic in his community, but he also has a place for the lower socioeconomic. Chicago is a polarized city economically. The neighborhoods and the center of the city often seem polarized from one another. And what Luke does now is he says, let me show you how the love of Christ crosses the boundaries of oppression as well. Meet a slave girl. I want to introduce you to some friends. Who are the people of your neighborhood? Well, Lydia and then this slave girl. Verse 16 says, and we were going to the place of prayer. As we were going to the place of prayer, we met, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and who brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation, and she kept doing so for many days. The Roman Empire uh, had, as I mentioned earlier, had a great number of slaves within it. The Bible here is not validating slavery. In fact, what it's doing is showing that this woman is bound by oppression. It's showing that she is economically oppressed there's an aspect of her own status as a woman that's being taken advantage of here as well. She's economically oppressed. She's also spiritually oppressed. She has a, a, a spirit within her that continues to cry out. What Luke, who wrote two volumes in the New Testament, wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, is doing is he's saying, in the same way that Christ had this power to set people free from the oppressive forces in their lives and to bring them new life, so also the message of Christ has the same kind of power. She follows Paul, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. It's not clear why they allowed her to do this for many days. Maybe... I don't know. Maybe it actually was like working for them. These crowds are, are coming around them. And then it says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit. It's an interesting idea that Paul casts out a demon because he's annoyed. Another way to, to translate that, that uh, word there for becoming annoyed is that he was greatly distressed. So it may have been about the inconvenience of it, or it may have been 
his heart was breaking for the oppression of this woman as she continues to cry out. He sees her bondage. If Paul didn't see it, then God saw it. He saw her abuse. He saw her oppression. And he set her free. And Luke is saying, look, what happened in Jesus' day is now happening in our day. I, I, as I was reflecting on this passage on Tuesday, the, the imagery of the, the idea that Christ has come to set the captive free came into my mind. And that's what's happening here. Christ is setting someone free who's a captive. And Luke has this beautiful place in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus goes into the synagogue in Nazareth, which is his hometown. And it says he takes the scroll and he unrolls it and he finds the place in Isaiah 61. And he reads from Isaiah 61, listen to these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why did Christ come into the world? Because he's anointed me to listen, to proclaim good news to the poor, this slave girl. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, like this slave girl. And recovery of the sight to the blind, and then to set at liberty those who are oppressed, like this slave girl, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, Christ did not come somehow only for the wealthy, but he came also for the poor, not just for the free, but for those who are in bondage, there is a special commitment of God towards the oppressed and towards the captive. And here's the good news that Jesus wants you to know, that Luke wants you to know, that if you're captive to something, God has come to set you free. That if you are in, oppressed, in an oppressed relationship, he has come to set you free. That he has come to set you free from the bonds of sin and the bonds of of spiritual limitation. The story doesn't end there because the owners, and that's a horrible thought that there were actually owners of this woman. Verse 19, it says, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And the marketplace would be like the center of the town, but it's where business happened. It's where legal decisions would be made as well. Verse 20, when they brought in the magistrates, they said these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice and the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Later in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the fact that he was beaten twice with rods, beaten 39 times. So the, the gospel here, what Luke is doing is showing how the gospel and the good news of Christ, that the forgiveness of God is for all people, it's for those of high standing, it's for men, it is for women. Galatians 3.28 puts it this way, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And what Luke is showing us in the narrative fashion is that the people of the neighborhood, the gospel is for all the people of the neighborhood, that the center of the city needs the gospel and the neighborhoods of the city needs the gospel too. And he is saying that economic oppression and spiritual oppression and possibly this sexual oppression here, that God has come to set the prisoner free. So I just ask you today, 
Where do you need to be set free? What are the parts of, the, of your life where you need to claim what Jesus says in Isaiah 61 as he says these words have been fulfilled in your presence today? Jesus sets the captive free. Who are the founders of the Philippian church? These two women, extremes socioeconomically, and then one last person, which is the jailer. If you think of the, the, the extremities of the socioeconomic spectrum, Lydia was at the top of it, this slave girl was at the bottom of it, and this jailer is sort of in the middle of it. He would be sort of a, a working class soldier, a military man, perhaps retired, who has become a jailer. And they take uh, at least Paul and Silas and then throw them into the jail after inflicting many blows upon them. Verse 23, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely and having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Uh, the, the, the welts and bruises and open wounds that would have been on their backs um, would have been causing them extreme pain. In our culture today, if the government does something against us, our tendency is to speak vile words against the government. Look at what they do. They consider it a privilege to have been beaten and suffering on behalf of God. Look, look at what it says in verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to, him, to them. They have this internal strength, this internal power, and then suddenly God shows his external power. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the earth were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. One of my mentors, his name is Ken Hughes, tells the story of when he had his, his sermon to candidate at a church that he served at for about 29 years. There was a great thunderstorm happening while he was preaching in their old sanctuary and the alarms the fire alarms started going off. And so he would begin preaching as the fire, alarm, fire alarms went off and then somebody silenced them and five minutes later they went on again and then the alarms went off and then came on again repeatedly during his candidating sermon. And so when he left, he thought, well, I certainly failed that one miserably. But the response of the candidating committee was, no, 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 if anybody can preach through something like that, then God's power must be with him and must be upon them. In a much more dramatic way, what happens here is that God arrives to validate Paul and Silas and basically sets them free from prison. They're in these stocks and they are set free and the, the jailer is about to kill himself because there's a Roman law that uh, would have required it at that time and Paul cries with a loud voice, don't harm yourselves because we are all here and it brings him to the point of conviction and he says, sir, what must we do? What must I do to be saved? And then these very simple words, which are the power of the gospel, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. 
What Luke wants to do is to show the simplicity of faith in Christ and how it sets us free. And it says that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house, verse 38. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Can you picture the imagery? Perhaps there was a fountain. We don't know exactly where they were baptized. But first the wounds are washed in the fountain, cleansing them of their pain so that they will not get an infection. And then the imagery comes of baptism itself to show the washing of the blood of Christ and what he has done for us. Humorously, the last little section here tells them, tells us that the, uh, the magistrates and the police come and apologize, not having realized that they were Roman citizens. What Luke wants us to see is the unifying power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is for one and for all. And I want to just close by applying this in a couple of ways and say to each person here, you're, you're welcome in the church of God. That you are welcome because of your differences and including your differences. More than that, you are needed in the kingdom. Your gender, your socioeconomic status is not what qualifies you, but the fact that you are a sinner who is created in the image of God. And secondly, let me just say this, make room for all people. Make room for those who are different from you. Celebrate God's boundary-crossing love and notice the power of the gospel that has come to save. Just for a moment, I want you to imagine the boundaries in our city that you want to ask God to cross with the power of the gospel. It involves repentance, yes. It involves belief in who Jesus is. But God can cross any boundary. Jesus' love, let me proclaim, is a boundary-crossing love. And the gospel has the power to unite the powerful, the powerless, those who are named like Lydia, and those who are unnamed in this passage. Don't say, I don't belong, but believe that your differences add to the richness and the beauty. No man and no woman is an island. I'm going to close with that uh, great image in, some of you hate the Lord of the Rings, but I'm going there, 2001 in the movie, Aragorn comes and he says, if by my life and death I can protect you, I will, you have my sword. Legolas says, and you have my bow. And Gimli says, and my axe. And Boromir says, you carry the fate of us all, little one. If this is indeed the will of the council, then Gondor will see it done. It doesn't matter who you are. You have something to contribute. And God's love has crossed a boundary to come to you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this businesswoman, this slave woman, this jailer who formed the core of a church that we still read about thousands of years later. And we pray that your Holy Spirit, which was upon Jesus to proclaim freedom to the captives, would also settle upon each person 
who's hearing these words today, that we might also proclaim liberty to the oppressed and sight to the blind and the year of the Lord's favor. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.